When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Impact Theory. Today, we are going to be talking all about self-forgiveness and how to overcome failure. This is one of the most important things that you can learn to do well. All of us are going to fail, not once, not twice, but a lot. We're going to be failing over and over and over in our lives. By the end of our time together, you are going to understand one immutable truth, that failure is actually how it is the very part of the process that allows you to be successful in the end. And we're gonna talk about why that is. I'm gonna to touch on this from a bunch of different angles, tactics on how to deal with your own self-esteem, how to get back up when you've been knocked down, um, how to think about the very nature of failure. So we're gonna go into all of that. All right, without further ado, here's the first question. I am reading Mindset, the book by Carol Dweck, and I'm sure you've talked about it before, but I'd love to hear any personal examples of you having to overcome the fixed mindset. I believe my long history of a fixed mindset has led to a plethora of self-sabotage, disbelief in myself, and a fear of failure so deep that it's paralyzing. Okay, well, the good or bad news is that I can completely relate to that. And here is the reality. No matter how successful the person is that you're looking at and wishing you could be like them and thinking that they have everything all figured out. The one thing that I can promise you is that all of us struggle on the inside. That is just a reality of the human condition. Once you understand that that is a reality, that that's just a part of the human condition, then you can begin to ideally let yourself off the hook and that you're not spending a lot of time um, stuck there. But to give you a specific example from my life, the biggest one, the most harrowing one that I went through was in film school. So uh, to cut a very long story short, I went to film school, believed that I had innate talent. I went into film school with a fixed mindset um, I did very well at the beginning of film school, and that all to me felt like it was proof that I was right, that I was naturally gifted, that I was a born storyteller, and that I was going to go and have an illustrious career. And I actually went through a fascinating period in film school where I was both terrified that secretly I wasn't good enough, and but at the same time actually believed that I was naturally gifted and this is what I was meant to do. And every bit of feedback that I got in either direction was it made me believe to the core of my being that it was true. So when I would do something poorly, I would think, see, that part of me that was convinced that I actually don't have talent, you were right. And then I would do something well, and the part of me that believed that was like, see, I knew it, you were born for this. 
And it all came crashing down as I worked my way up the ranks at USC Film School. Um, only four people are chosen to direct what's known as a senior thesis film or a 480. And I was one of the four people picked. And I was like, see, I knew it, man. I'm born for this. Of course I got picked to do one of the senior thesis films. That just makes sense. I'm, I'm that good. And I thought, okay, cool. The thing that makes the thesis film so important is the film school pays your budget to make this film. So at a time where there's no YouTube, there's no iPhones, like filming is an expensive endeavor. Here you've got somebody that's paying for it. And that becomes your calling card to the industry. So George Lucas famously made one of these films. And obviously we know how his career ended up working out. And they showed us his 480, by the way. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And so you could see that here was this gifted filmmaker. And so I have that in my head, like look at George Lucas's films, absolutely brilliant. He's gone on to have this brilliant career. I'm gonna make an equally brilliant film or maybe a little more brilliant. And then I'm gonna go become the next Lucas or the next Spielberg. And I'm gonna take that film and get my three picture deal. And I proceeded to run smack bang into one immutable truth. And that was, that I wasn't a talented filmmaker. And I don't say that to be humble. I say that out of truth because I didn't have the skill set to make a good film. Once the level of complexity had gone beyond a certain level, so I'd thrived in these really short, really simple films. And then once you're talking actors and dialogue and you know the things that would come close to what we would recognize as a normal film, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. and try and try as I might, I couldn't figure out how to make the film come out well. And it didn't come out well. And I was mortified and I was embarrassed and I never wanted anybody to see that film. And I was really and truly devastated. So I want you to imagine your whole life. So what, I graduated at like 22. So from 12 to 22, all I knew was I wanted to be a filmmaker and my whole life was moving towards that. And it looked like I had the natural gift. And of course, if you're going to be an artist, you're either born with it or you're not, right? That's all anybody said. I can't express enough. In the 80s and 90s, when I grew up, when people talked about art, you either had it or you didn't. And that was that. There was no sense of growth mindset. Carol Dweck had not written the book yet. And so it wasn't even like I knew there was a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. I just knew you're either born with it or you're not. The great news was I was born with it. Here we go. It's going to be amazing. And then boom, I can't do it. And I realized, oh my God, I wasn't born with anything. I don't know how to do this. There is a tremendous amount of process to this art. And I don't know that at all. But of course, as I'm in the middle of it, I just think my world has come crashing down. I'm not gifted. I will never be gifted. And therefore, I will never be a filmmaker. I will never make anything of myself. And just it was a downward spiral of epic proportions. And at the height of that, I would go home from my dead end job and I would lay face down on the carpet because I couldn't afford furniture and literally just sit there. I can still feel that cheap nylon carpet and the way that it felt on my face as I laid there thinking, well, my life is effectively over. Certainly, the, my life that was working towards a dream is over. And 
Now it's just about finding a way to uh, be the smartest person in the room. And if that means that I have to go and work a dead end job to be the smartest person in the room, then that's what I'll do. And so I used to go and interview for jobs having nothing to do with film because I felt totally broken. And my goal was to, at some point in the interview, have the interviewer say, you're so smart. Why are you interviewing for this role? And because I had a fixed mindset and I so needed that praise from the outside, I was putting myself in these super weird and useless positions just to get that little nugget of, oh my God, like you're so smart. And I had to put myself in sort of worse and worse company to get to that point. And finally, and I don't remember what it was that led me to this idea of brain plasticity. But somewhere in the depths of my despair, I realized, can we get better? Maybe we can. And so I started reading about the brain. And that started to plant seeds in my mind that maybe brain plasticity was real. And maybe I could get better. And just because I wasn't good at film today, maybe I could get better at film down the road. And I ended up getting a job teaching film because remember those that can do, those that can't teach. So I felt like, okay, well, I can teach this even if I can't do it. And then so between reading about the brain and realizing, wait a second, if I work at this thing, I actually get better. My brain actually changes and I become better at something. And given, you know, having gone through however many years of schooling I'd been through, I started thinking about it. Like, wait a second, you would come into any class. And the funny thing is, as a kid, I remember every grade just being absolutely terrified that, well, I did okay at being a fourth grader, but mom, I'm going to get devastated as a fifth grader. I don't know what I'm doing. And no matter how many times my mom would console me and say, remember, they're going to teach you how to learn the things that a fifth grader needs to know. They don't expect you to already know it. It just wouldn't sink in. And so I was sort of back in that moment of, you know, I don't know how to do this, but maybe my mom is right. Maybe the neuroscientists are right. And maybe I can learn to become that thing I want to become. I start teaching film. And as I'm teaching it, I realize, wait, I'm helping my students become better filmmakers. So if I can help them become better filmmakers and brain plasticity is really true, then I could get better as a filmmaker myself. And that, that realization changed the rest of my life. And this is why I am so obsessed with the idea of a growth mindset and brain plasticity because the biology backs it up. And once you understand, it's what I call the only belief that matters. The only belief that matters is that if you put time and energy into getting better at something, you'll actually get better. And that those skills have utility. So learning how to make a better film means you can actually make a better film and more people will go see it and be moved by it and they'll pay for the tickets and they'll buy the plush toys. But that all came down to you went and got good at telling stories. You went and got good at making movies. But it was a skill set that you garnered. Now, of course, we're not blank slates. So some of us are going to learn that process easier. And typically when somebody learns something easier, we say, oh, they were born with it. But the reality is, while they may have had a, um, they get a disproportionate return on the amount of time that they spend studying that thing. But the reality is they still have to study that thing. And so you don't find people achieving just levels of greatness, you know, even take a LeBron, who the amount of time that he spends 
working on his craft, making sure that his body's in peak physical condition, reading the game, all of that. He has to do all that, even though he has also incredible natural talent. So it can be useful to look for areas where, hey, I have a love for this thing and I'm good at it. I get a disproportionate return. That's a better way to think of it. That when I put energy into learning this thing, I get maybe 1.3x return on that versus somebody else who might get a 0.7 return. But what I want everybody to understand is you get a return. And so once you understand that you get a return, it may take you longer. You may have to work harder than somebody else. But if you love it enough and you want to be that thing, then you can become that thing. And so that was exactly how I got myself out of that downward spiral and working my way up to feeling good, developing confidence and understanding that now if I can get good at anything that I want, then how I spend my time becomes a spiritual consideration. And when you approach life like that, like I can be good at anything. Maybe not the greatest of all time. Maybe you need like that disproportionate returns thing. But you can get, I'll just, I'm going to start saying you can get a hundred times better at anything that you pursue, right? If you can get a hundred times better at anything, imagine how that will change your life if you pick something that matters to you and helps other people. And you get a hundred times better at that thing over the course of 40 years than you are today. That is a game changer. It will change your life. It will change your financial situation. It will change your emotional situation. Everything about your life changes when you realize you can dedicate yourself to getting good at things that matter. And so that is the classic example from my life of where I was completely mired in a fixed mindset. I had never even heard of a growth mindset and I had to cobble the tenants together on my own. Carol Dweck, I'm looking at you. You, uh, If only you had written that book 15 years earlier, uh, could have saved me from a lot of struggle and strife. And ultimately, it was just about what worked. And that's the biology of it. If you put dedicated time and energy to getting better at something, you will get better. There it is. All right, next. I often get stuck in my thoughts, should, could, or would have, or a trigger will bring me back to something I could have done better. How do you stop revisiting the past mistakes in a loop and actually use them to grow and expand your life experience into more wisdom? An actual concrete technique would be appreciated. Okay, so here is the technique that I use around woulda, coulda, shoulda. So I have a belief and a rule So my belief is that it doesn't make sense to do or believe anything that doesn't move you towards your goals. And then I have a rule, which is that same thing stated as a to-do, basically, which is that I do not allow myself to do or believe anything that moves me away from my goals. Okay, so I believe that it just makes sense to make sure that you have a goal that's exciting and honorable. But once you have an exciting and honorable goal, then you want to make sure that you filter every decision that you take through. Is this leading me towards my goal or not? And if you have a belief that, oh man, I should have done this better. If only I would have done this. If thinking about that and feeling badly about that actually helps you, and by the way, sometimes it does, briefly, you don't want to live there, then use that. Use that to spur you on to get better, to learn more, to work harder next time, to analyze the failure and figure out what it is you're going to learn. Do all of that. 
And when you have that energy, that's nature's way, that pain, that's nature's way of making sure that you focus. In fact, that pain lights up regions of the brain that have to do with focus and attention. So now you've got your focus and attention on this failure, what you could have done differently in the past, you're reevaluating it, you're gonna pay more attention, you're gonna learn that skill, now you're gonna move forward better than when you started. In fact, Henry Ford has a quote, failure is simply the ability to begin again, but this time more educated. When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools, Tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors 
has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, all right, word. That's what failure is. Now, when it becomes a problem is when you allow yourself to stay in that pain. You allow yourself to stay in that mode, that you keep coming back to it, and it's just corroding your sense of self. It's making you feel worse about yourself. It's making you feel less likely to take action. In that moment, I use a cognitive behavioral therapy technique called a pattern interrupt, and I pattern interrupt, and I say, hey, I don't allow myself to do or believe anything that moves me away from my goals. So. I have officially taken this too far. I'm feeling badly about something that I wish I had done differently, but now it's becoming corrosive. It's no longer giving me that springboard forward. I'm spending too much time here. So now, done, stop. And I force myself to think about, cool, you know that you can get good at anything. So now, what in that failure has been revealed that you're not good enough at that thing yet? Go get good at that thing or find a partner who can do that for you, or say, okay, that's not the thing that I'm going to pursue. It would take too much time and energy for me to get good at that thing. Like take magic, for instance. I'm fucking obsessed. I love magic. Close-up magic, you can't imagine. I really love it. I've taken classes, I've practiced, and it's really fun. But when I think about the amount of time that it would take to actually get good, fuck that. Way too much time. Another example. There was a brief period in my life where I wanted to become a stand-up comic. True, strange perhaps, but true. And I went and did an open mic night and I was okay. I was funny-ish. And I stayed, it was uh, on open mic night, you get like a bunch of nobodies and then followed by some big names that uh, they come out, they do their thing, but they're trying new material. So it's not particularly funny if I'm interested, if, if I'm honest. And so I'm sitting there and at first there's like 350 people and then there's, you know, 275 and then 115. And then by the end of the night, it was literally like eight of us, nine of us. And me and my friend are like, all right, we just cannot take one more comic trying out material. This is getting really torturous. And so we get up to leave and this guy's manager comes out and he says, Hey, the person who's about to come out is the funniest man in America. You are not going to want to miss this. And I look at my friend and I'm like, all right, fuck it. This is the last guy. Let's just stay and we'll have done the whole night. And this guy comes out and he does his routine. And if you've ever heard of Mitch Hedberg, it was Mitch Hedberg. The guy's a fucking legend. And when you're done with this video, go look up Mitch Hedberg. He was so funny that I actually thought to myself, can you die from laughing? Because I could not catch my breath. I was laughing so hard. And the way that his joke structure is, he's giving you another punchline like every 30 seconds. So I'm like barely winding down from the joke before and he hits you with another one. And I, I am literally doubled over in hysteria, gasping for air, wondering if I'm gonna die laughing. And at the end of his routine, when he walked off the stage, I was like, well, to get that good, and by then I was beginning to believe that I could get good at things, to get that good, I would have to dedicate the rest of my life to it. And I'm not prepared to do that. And that was a real eye-opening moment of, okay, so compared to him, I was a 
catastrophic failure. And my response wasn't, oh, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. My response was, all right, pony up, man. You can get that good. But whoa, you need to be honest about what it would take to get there. And then just be honest with yourself about what it would take and whether or not you want to do it. You want to put in that time and the energy to get that good. And then if you don't, then don't lie. Just say, I'm not funny enough and I'm not interested in pursuing that skill set. And when you say it like that, then you know that you're on the hunt for the thing that matters enough to you that you're going to see something through. Now, talking about drive and how to build that's outside of the scope of this conversation, but you get the idea. It is very freeing to just say, okay, I could get that good, but I'm just not interested enough in it. Doesn't mean I don't like it. It just means that I'm not interested in pursuing that skill set. So that's the technique that I use to deal with that whenever my mind is going somewhere negative. And if you do that, every time your mind goes somewhere negative, you either use it as that impulse to push you forward, to go learn what you need to learn, or if it's now corrosive and you're spending too much time there, you pattern interrupt, you get out of it, you remind yourself that you can learn anything. And now it's just a question of whether you want to spend the time and the energy to learn that. And don't waste time lamenting that so many things come too hard to you. Doesn't fucking matter. That's just a question of how badly you want it. Because let me tell you, virtually nothing in my life comes easily to me. And yet, I've built a life that I absolutely love, even though some of the things that I have to deal with are a fucking struggle. And I look at other people that they get that disproportionate return that I wish that I had. And I've still been able to build a life that fills me with joy and fulfillment. And ironically, in not pursuing money, I have made money. Pursue the joy, pursue the fulfillment, use the techniques. They work. Hey, Tom, how do you consciously learn from your mistakes so that you fail forward instead of blindly repeating the same mistakes over and over again? I mean, if failure is the richest data stream available, how do you effectively collect and analyze the data? Damn, that's a good question. Okay, getting good at this is very important. And most people start out not good at this. And so this is one of those things where putting the time and the energy into figuring it out is very important. Now, to figure it out, the exact how, is what I call the physics of progress. And I teach a whole class on this, by the way, if anybody's interested, I have a whole university called Impact Theory University. I highly encourage each and every one of you guys to sign up for that. And in that, I teach the physics of progress. So I'm gonna give you a condensed version. Now, the reason I call it the physics of progress is because this is first principles. This is just the nature of how one makes progress. Okay, so to make progress and to fail forward, to really figure out when you make this catastrophic error, you have to conceptualize it in the right way. So when you're trying something, recognize that as a hypothesis. So number one is to recognize I have a goal. My goal is over there. I'm here. There's a gap between my goal and I. I need to know what that gap is. I need to understand it. I need to know what the impediment is. I need to recognize why if I just keep doing the thing that I'm doing now, why am I not going to get where I'm going? Okay. So first you have to identify that. Now, once you identify that, then it becomes a question of what is your best guess, which we will call, which is called a hypothesis. So you make that hypothesis, which again, is just your best guess as to what you would need to do. It's very important. This isn't thinking. We're not going to live in the abstract that when we finish this, it's going to tell us to do something. So what would I need to do 
in order to overcome the obstacle that stands between me and my goal. If your major goal is like way down the road, you're gonna have to break it down into smaller goals. And so this goal with my next 15 minutes is how I tell people to think of it. When you understand your goal clearly enough and you understand the impediments clearly enough, you know exactly what you should be doing with the next 15 minutes, okay? That's the level of clarity that you need. So, okay, cool. I've identified this. What the thing is that I believe I need to do, it's a guess. Don't wait for lightning to strike. Don't wait for anything to be self-evident. You have a best guess as to what you should do with the next 15 minutes. And then your 15 minutes stack up to your best guess, you know, over uh, a week or a month or a quarter, you know, whatever, however big that project is. Then you're going to do that thing. So I have a hypothesis on what would be the most efficient way, most effective way for me to overcome this obstacle. And then I'm going to do that thing. And that thing is either going to work or it's not. And if it works, amazing. Did it work as well as it could have? If not, and I have to do this, it's something I have to do again, then refine and do it again. If it did, then what's my next obstacle? And I'm gonna do that one. Now, eventually you're gonna do something and it doesn't work. It either you stood still or you made so little progress as to be um, unworthy of celebration, or maybe you even move backwards. Maybe this is that moment where you totally embarrass yourself. Maybe this is something that happened out in public and now you look like a total ass. And in that moment, you need to go, okay, why did this not work? Okay, so this is where we analyze the data. Now, the key to analyzing the data is before you run this experiment, you need to say what success looks like. So, all right, if I think, here's my best guess as to what I need to do to overcome this problem, and here is what success will look like. So, um, let me give you an example. We had a hypothesis. I still can't believe that this is true, but it is. We had a hypothesis here on our YouTube channel that if we put guests, uh, if we took a photo of them or pulled a, a screenshot from the episode where they're doing something with their hands, that the click rate will go up and that the click rate will positively impact our monetized views. Okay, so that's our hypothesis. We test it. I still can't believe this is true, but it works. And it doesn't just work most of the time, it works almost all of the time. Now, nothing is, you never have one blanket statement where it truly works for everything, but I'm talking north of 95%. So, hey, we had this hypothesis, it worked, we did it. Now, the number of times where we had a hypothesis, hey, uh, put make the text white with a um, drop shadow. We tried it and that didn't work. And it's like, wow. I can't believe that didn't work. It looks so much better than black text, but it keeps losing over and over and over. So in that moment, it's like, okay, well, I really thought this was gonna work, but it didn't work and you try something else. Now, when it's something where there's emotion involved, that gets harder for people to get clear on what the data is. And that's why you have to have a, uh, a very clear understanding of what success looks like. And I think it was, oh God, if I'm misremembering who said this, Cal Newport, I think, uh, is the one that every time he gives a talk, he asks his students to rate him, or if he's talking for a corporation, he asks them to rate him and tell him what he could be doing better. And so the way he's giving his presentations, of course, is his best guess on how to be the most dynamic speaker, highest rank, most likely to be brought back. And he inevitably falls short of that. Now, when people tell him, oh, man, you did this, and that was really dumb or whatever, that hurts. But he knows 
that he's got to do this iterative process, that that is the physics of progress, that you try something, it fails to some degree, you get the data, right? So his data would be, if this works, my students will rate me at a 9.3 or higher on my evaluations. Okay, well, if he gets a 7.6, it is very clear that he didn't get what he wanted. And then he seeks the feedback as to why that didn't work and what people liked, didn't like. And then he refines it and tries again and tries again. So just by running this iterative process, constantly seeking that feedback, not being afraid to get quantitative feedback. People are actually giving you numbers. So whatever it is that you're doing, you need to know what success looks like so you know if you missed the mark. And then you just iterate, iterate, iterate. And that is how you deal with failure when you want to fail forward. Physics of progress, baby. There it is. All right, next up. How would you differentiate between being a failure and having failures? I've started many projects that due to my headspace, I left big projects. How would you know you're not the problem and that you really are just experiencing a failure and you're not just incapable? Okay, here's the irony. Odds are that you really are incapable and that's why you're not getting the results that you want. Now, remember back to the first thing that we said. Just because you're incapable today does not mean you have to become or stay incapable tomorrow. So you can, by putting the only belief that matters, by putting time and attention into something, you will get better at it. So people should not be afraid to realize that they're incapable, right? So the story that I could tell myself about um, filmmaking at that period in my life is, oh, you're just being humble. You know, look how far you've come. You've used storytelling to build massive companies. Like clearly you did have something. It just needed to be brought out of you. No, I didn't have anything. And that doesn't mean that I'm not valuable as a human being. I'm hopelessly average, as are most of us. That's where the word average comes from. And since we know, you can just guess, you're somewhere right at the top of that bell curve, baby. And since all of us, roughly speaking, probably fall into that average zone, odds are that you're average. So I was like, cool, I'm not going to BS myself. I'm hopelessly average, but the average human is capable of extraordinary growth. And so now I'm just going to put all of my time and attention into growing and getting better. And so recognizing that when you think of yourself as a failure, what you're saying is that I am locked in time and space, that I can't get better. It's the definition of a fixed mindset. But when you have a growth mindset and you know, no matter where you're at today, no matter how incapable you are, no matter how much that project failed entirely because of you, you can get better and you can get a different result next time. And so all you want to do is comb through that experience to find out what you need to do differently in order to be more successful next time. And so you do just have to get good at really getting rid of the emotion so that you can clearly see, had I done this, I think I would have gotten a better result. And then you try that. Maybe that was right. Maybe it's not. You rethink about it. Okay, what if I did this? You try that. And then you do enough iterations, you're going to make progress. So Thomas Edison said it took him and his team 10 thousand different light bulbs before they found the ones that we know and love today. So it's important to recognize that every attempt discarded is another step forward. And Edison used to say, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I just found 10,000 ways that didn't work. 
And that little shift makes a big difference. So don't be afraid to be incapable. Simply recognize what you're going to need to do in order to get capable and then decide whether you're willing to put the time and the energy into it or not. And the people that you see that are successful are the ones that put in the work to become capable. They were not the people that were born special. All right. What kind of questions do I need to ask myself after facing a failure? There's really only a couple. One, you need to ask yourself, what is the nature of the human animal? The reason that's important is if it is true that the nature of the human animal, that as a species, we have chosen adaptation, right? We're not the strongest. We're not the fastest. We don't have the sharpest claws or the strongest jaw. And yet we have absolutely dominated this planet. And the way that we have become the apex predator of all apex predators is by our ability to adapt to a changing environment. Okay, so if that's the direction that our species took, instead of being like a horse and coming pre-wired with everything, we come with the ability to learn. That's like our unfair advantage and it has propelled us to the heights that we see before us, then I just need to ask, is that true of the human animal? Yes, it's true. It's just too obvious to refute. Okay, well, then if that's true, then can I not get better at this thing? Yes, of course I can. Okay, might be harder for me, but I can get better. Cool. If I can get better, then what do I need to get better at? And then once I know that, am I willing to do that thing to get better. But it's all on me. It's nobody else. It's not the outside world's not holding me back. My genetics didn't let me down. This comes down to your willingness to believe the only belief that matters, that with time and attention, you will get better. You will garner improved skills. And then having the drive to see that through. And that, my friends, is how you joyfully deal with failure because it really is the most information-rich data stream. It triggers that area, the areas of your brain that have to do with focus and memory. In the doing, you learn faster than you will in the abstract by going out there and being in the thick of it and trying things. You're constantly getting like all this feedback from the world, from your own body, from what works and moves you forward, from the market, from other people. All things that you'll never get by sitting and thinking about it. So read, learn for sure, watch videos, all that's incredibly powerful, but then immediately put it to use. Pick something from this video, whether it's a pattern interrupt or the phrases that I repeat to myself or learning about the brain. Do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. Deploy the physics of progress today. Sign up for Impact Theory University today. That one was self-serving, but I promise you it will change your life. It is me pouring my heart and soul into giving you all the tools I wish I had in my early 20s because holy Lord, did it change my life and could have ended a lot of suffering far sooner. All right, I hope this video will save you guys from some suffering. I really hope that. Until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care, peace.